Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Five, four, three, two, one. Cue music. This is Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. Hello and welcome to what we would normally be calling Movies First, but because Alex has been so, so busy, we've got a lot of live theatre to do. Uh, Chris Coleman here, Alex First there. Greetings to you, Mr First. Indeed, busy, busy, busy. Seven shows, seven days. It's been unlike anything and... I took my wife to all of them, and she said to me, oh, I don't know how you do this. How can you stand the pace? And I said, it's all very different. It's varied. It's beautiful. I'm so lucky, the opportunity to see all these great things and to talk about them with you. I couldn't be more chuffed. Well, let us talk about uh, We Will Rock You. Now, I was lucky enough to to catch this at the Sydney uh, season earlier this year. We go forward to the year 2306 uh, with the Global Soft Corporation taking over the world. What did you think of it now that it's had a few months to run in Sydney and has moved to Melbourne, Alex? Very, very funny, very silly. I mean, it is a silly show, isn't it? But the, the music, the the chemistry and the acoustics, one, I, I don't think I've seen a show that I've enjoyed more when it came to the actual sound. It was at Melbourne's Regent Theatre, which is our premier theatre, absolutely magnificent. Two and a half hours of high-octane rock and roll, ode to Freddie Mercury and Queen, if you like that music. 24 mega hits you are not going to be disappointed it was terrific written and updated as well as directed by ben elton lots of fun heaps and heaps of fun joyful exuberant story of a group of bohemians who struggle to restore the free exchange of thought fashion and live music in a distant future in which instruments are forbidden and rock music is all but unknown by the way, did you know that this opened in May 2002, the original West End production, and then the next place it actually moved to was Melbourne the following year? Yeah, it actually was the longest-running show at the Dominion Theatre uh, in London in the West End, a record that it still holds. Uh, it was panned by the critics when it opened in, in uh, 2002 in London and then ran for uh, a fortnight over 12 years over there. So uh, sometimes the critics don't know their stuff. Well, the other thing about it is they redesigned it. The staging and the design were reinvented when they came to Melbourne, including bringing the band into view because that wasn't in the original production. Now this dystopian satire has been re-engineered again to ensure its cultural references account for the technological and social media changes that have taken place since the early noughties. And that's something to bear in mind, that if you're going to have a show that involves technology... Technology is changing mighty, mighty quickly, so I'm pleased that Ben Elton tinkered with it in that regard. I I thought, I don't know what you did, but I thought the cynical Scaramouche undoubtedly has the best lines, and Erin Clark, who was in Phantom of the Opera, what a revelation she was in the role. She is fabulous. I've I've pulled out my notes from when I saw this a couple of months ago. Uh, I have smart, sassy, very quick with a comeback and not to be taken lightly. Absolutely powerful, really powerful vocals, and 
dynamic stage presence as well. Opposite her, Galileo Figaro. What a great name for a character. Obviously from one of the Queen's anthems or one of Queen's anthems, Gareth Keegan from Jersey Boys fills that role, the youngster who has musical riffs reverberating through his brain incessantly. And the pair of them, Scaramouche and Galileo Figaro, a couple of outcasts. I'd, I'd love to name my child Galileo Figaro, but I probably wouldn't have the, the guts because they'd have to live with that for the rest of their lives, wouldn't they? <laughs> Unless they changed it by Depol. <laughs> oh, I don't know. What did David Bowie call his his uh, his kids? Uh, there was Zoe Bowie and uh, Frank Zappa called his kids Dweezel and Moonbase. So, you That's know, yeah, you well, know, things happen. Well, Jet is another one. I, can you name a kid Jet? I don't mind that. Uh, I, I... Lee, Lee Kernigan's boy is Jet, I think. Look, I want A names for my my kids and grandkids, etc. And that's because there's you can always be a, a first. Does that make sense? Yes, well, it, it does. does. In alphabetical order in the classroom, yeah. Yeah, why not? Now these two are a couple of outcasts, Scaramouche and Galileo Figaro. Often they don't see eye to eye, but clearly they're stronger for having found one another. And of course, a rocky relationship between the pair beckons. Casey Donovan, what a big, big voice! fits quite comfortably into the role of the megalomaniacal killer queen, head of the corporation you spoke about, trying to control the hearts and minds of all youth. And Brian Mannix, oh, who didn't enjoy Uncanny X-Men, lead singer of the 80s band, real crowd pleaser as Buddy. He's the one who leads this ragtag bunch of libertarians. Lots of great queen hits. So we've got We Are The Champions, Radio Gaga, I Want To Break Free, Somebody To Love, Killer Queen, Don't Stop Me Now, Under Pressure, Another One Bites the Dust, and We Will Rock You. And, of course, they inevitably lead to the ultimate anthem, Bohemian Rhapsody, which catapulted me to musical Nirvana. Happy to say that. 28 members of the cast in full voice, eight musicians rocking out in concert mode. Well, I reckon it's about as good as you can get. It really was that fantastic. It's a show with a great deal of impact. It's bright, it's colourful, lively, very much over the top, all built on the mass appeal and never-say-die attitude of rock music. And put succinctly, there was a hell of a lot of love in the room on opening night at the Regent Theatre where We Will Rock You is playing until the 30th of October. So... Was there a lot of love in your room too? Oh, absolutely. I think I caught was the, either the last or the second last preview performance in Sydney and I know that it had a very successful season there. There's been some sort of an issue because when we spoke about this last time we mentioned it was also going to uh, uh, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide and Brisbane. There's been some sort of an issue in Perth and I don't know what's happened there but Perth fans are going to miss out. But it is, uh, I, I don't know if it is still to do an Adelaide season either. But certainly, if you haven't caught it yet, make a weekend of it. Go to Melbourne and catch it at the Regent because uh, this is one of those shows. Uh, I think you used the word silly before. Yeah, the story yeah. is silly, but the music more than makes up for it. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, it's one of the silliest shows that you can imagine, quite frankly. But the silliness doesn't matter because you are so into what's going on stage. And that final number, wow. I mean, in full concert mode with the acoustics of the region, but not just that song, many, many songs with big voices and boldness. It's great. It really is terrific. Nine out of ten, as far as I'm concerned. What are, what are you going to give it? I, yeah, I I'm pretty sure I gave it a nine out of ten. It's the one thing I didn't actually write down was what I gave it as a score. But there you go. It's certainly right up there. And, uh, yeah. 
the other thing I will say that I don't think you've mentioned, if you are a fan of pop culture in general, the, the, the pop culture references that uh, Ben Elton has worked into the book for it are very, very clever all the way through. Absolutely. Well, Ben Elton's a terrific writer, isn't he? So, you know, you'd expect it from him. He, he produces. And the beauty part is later on in this episode, we are going to be talking about another really good writer who has penned something that appeared in 2013 initially and now it's come back as an independent production. That will be later on. So keep on listening, folks. We will get to that. By the way, some, some news too about another uh, big... I guess we call them the pop musical, you know, the musicals based on pop music. Uh, big news this week, of course, Mamma Mia is set to return to Australia for a 2017-18 season. And Alex, guess who's going to get to see it first? Because it will actually be opening in Canberra at the head of the right? tour in November 2017. Lovely. Well, that's terrific. I'm, I'll be very interested to hear your views on it. And and the other thing is that Baz Luhrmann is going is adapting one of his famous films for the stage. So there's lots to look forward to in terms of theatre and musical entertainment. Indeed there is. Let's move to our next one for today on this very special theatre-first edition of Movies First as we go to The Beast, uh, Eddie Perfect Project. Absolutely. Modern cutting satire tears our notions of morality to shreds. It's an at times hilarious rant on urban culture, organic lifestyle and infidelity. Interesting combination, I would have thought, Chris. That's the beast at the Comedy Theatre. Written by Eddie Perfect, featuring him and six other actors, Heidi Arena, Peter Horton, Alison Bell, Rowan Nickel, Toby Truslove and Christy Whelan-Brown, who I really enjoy seeing whenever I see her on the stage. It was first put on by MTC, Melbourne Theatre Company, in October 2013. Now it returns as an independent production directed by Simon Phillips, who used to be with the MTC, and, as I say, at the Comedy Theatre. The idea came from a real-life dinner party when Eddie Perfect was living in the Yarra Valley in Victoria, a beautiful part of the world. He and his wife became friends with people who worked in the food and wine industry. A couple bought a cow and had it humanely slaughtered, employing a mobile butcher to do the work. The butcher fell on his knife, cut his hand open, had to be rushed off to receive medical attention. The crowd that Perfect was with were joking about what had happened if the butcher didn't turn up and, and Perfect thought that would be a great premise for a play. <laughs> And this is what he said, if you have to slaughter a cow yourself and you botched it, it would ruin every part of the ethical reason while you started that journey in the first place. And he says the middle class can adopt these specific causes because they are on trend, in fashion, and they can make you look good. And they are more into the idea of looking good than actually being good. And he wanted the play to be brutal. And I tell you what, that it is, but it's also very, very funny. So you've got three mates, three men. They're marooned at sea without food or drink after a novice skipper, who's very strongly opinionated and, and now deeply delusional, took them on a fishing trip without checking the weather forecast. He, it was The weather forecast was appalling. So he's basically taken them out there in the middle of a typhoon. And now... Days later, they're desperate, they're hungry. It appears that all of them are going to die. Miraculously, they do not. Next thing you know, we cut to the trio's personal lives as married couples and then enjoying each other's company. 
they've made a tree change, you see, moving away from suburbia into the country. One has had a nervous breakdown. Another has had an affair with a young African woman while on a business trip. And a third is having trouble getting it up, so to speak, and impregnating his wife after she previously lost a baby. So that's the three of them. The, they, they all decide to share this meal together in which they eat a specially prepared, hand-reared organic calf, only the butcher fails to show up, and all hell breaks loose, breaks loose because they then take matters into their own hands. So I, I can say to you that Eddie Perfect's black humour cuts to the quick, and he ignites passion in an audience. There were elements, particularly in the first act, that had me doubling over in laughter. He pushes the envelope and then some as audible gasps, I kid you not, audible gasps circle the theatre. So Perfect has an ability to capture the absurdity and hypocrisy of man like very few other writers, and he's brought this to bear in The Beast. And to say he deals here with flawed creatures is a gross understatement. The talented cast capture the nuances of their respective roles perfectly. Best amongst them in terms of the most out-there character that you really want to throw fruit at is Simon. Simon is conceited, pretentious slime who treats his wife with contempt. It's he, as I say, more than any other character that you feel like throttling, <laughs> figuratively speaking. Now, that's a good sign, isn't it, when you're actually thinking that you want to get up on stage and, and, and do nasty things to somebody. We reached interval in double quick time. I think it was around about 50 minutes or so. Sure sign I was thoroughly enjoying myself. I could not believe we were already at an inter interval. And, yes, sure, it's over the top. Here's another one. At times, very, very silly. But middle class consciousness is very much in the firing line. And on that front, Perfect does not miss a beat. Runs for two and a half hours, including a 20-minute interval. And... Well, the beast, which appears to live by the adage that nothing exceeds like excess, is playing until the 10th of September, so you don't have a lot of time to see it, at the Comedy Theatre. It stands out for all the right reasons, though, so I invite you to get lost in the melodrama. And that's that's all I can say about it. Really, really strong. I'm going to give this an 8.5 out of 10. Go along and see The Beast. Sounds like a night out with a difference, really. Oh, yeah. It, it's... Uh, my. That we, my wife and I were looking at each other. We could not believe it. When they when they decide to slaughter the animal, <laughs> I mean, you, you've not seen anything quite like that on a stage, I dare say. Uh, it's it's you kind of you squirm, right? Because you, know, you you don't want this creature to die, and yet the way it dies, it's just it's just it's very black. Yeah, that's all I can say to you. And and yes, if you don't like the sight of blood. You'll have to turn away. It's, it's just so different. I, I mean, it really is very, very unusual, but really clever unusual. Let's move from The, the Beast to uh, something I haven't been through in a very long time, First Date. Now, First Date, the musical, this ran on Broadway for about six months. At this stage, only a limited season for Australia. But, Alex, is there hope that this will go on the road or, or get, a, get a, a little bit of a longer season somewhere? Look, it depends on whether it gets picked up by the, another theatre company or whether the theatre company that's staging it at Chapel Off Chapel, where it is showing in Melbourne until the 11th of September, decides to take it on the road. I 
Well, you said it's been some time. When, well, when did you date your current wife, as they say? How long ago was that? Oh, sometime in 1485. I think. Uh, <laughs> they, they invented electric light at that time? Uh, well, no, no, you see, that's the thing. That's why she married me, because in those days it was only candles, and I looked good under candlelight. You know, electric light oh, shows far too many flaws. That is very good because I was thinking the same thing. Good. Obviously, there was no internet at that time. I recognise that. No, that's fair enough. Now, how long ago was it, honestly? Uh, we've been together about 15, 16 years. So it has been a long time since, we've been on a, since I've been on a first date. Well, the, the only sour note was the sound quality. And, again, at times uproariously funny. That I went to the opening night. It's a comedic musical about a hookup between a serial data and a nerd. It's a book by Austin Winsberg, music and lyrics by Alan Zachary and Michael Wiener. The show was inspired by personal experiences and based on the concept of a blind date. It had its world premiere in Seattle in March 2012, debuted on Broadway in August 2013. So Aaron, played by Jordan Mahar, who works in financial services, enters a funky outdoor restaurant He's nervous. This nervousness is palpable. He orders a manly beer in a tall glass from a perceptive waiter, played by Stephen Valeri. Casey, Rebecca Hetherington, who's employed in an art gallery and likes photography, arrives on her bicycle and spots an allergenic or allergic Aaron applying eye drops. She immediately orders a couple of strong drinks in the hope that their date will be quick and painless. It isn't exactly the start that either of them would have wanted. The pair has been set up by Casey's sister, Lauren, Nicole Melloy, whose husband, Kevin, is Aaron's co-worker. Lauren is concerned that sister Casey, who acknowledges she's attracted to bad boys, may miss the boat with her biological clock ticking. Aaron receives advice on topics to avoid with a first date from best mate Gabe. Daniel Cosgrove. By the way, they include these topics to avoid the fact that he was left at the altar by Alison, Danielle O'Malley. Another deal breaker may be their respective religious affiliations. So from small talk to food choices, from trying to say and do the right things to opening up and giving of themselves and even confronting past demons, this first date will ride the highs and lows of expectation the awkwardness, the witty dialogue, the acerbic one-liners, the facial expressions and the supporting cast's audaciousness make this a night we, the audience, will not quickly forget. The characters, including Adam Porter as this couple's imaginary future son, are a delight. Maha and Hetherington are most endearing as the leads. Five supports all fill multiple roles. Much of the wit and wisdom is imparted through the outrageous tunes that are such an integral part of this production. That's why I was so disappointed in the quality of the sound, Chris, which began with a badly muffled first number. And it was all the more galling because the previous night I had attended, yep, We Will Rock You at the Regent, mm -hmm. which is, what, about 2,000 seats there, or, or a very, very large venue anyway, in which the music was crisp and clear and authoritative. In this case, without clarity... The humour in the numbers was often subjugated, which is sad. I would have liked to... Well, I actually rang them afterwards and I, I spoke to, to them and I said, look, I, I really like the show. I hope you're going to fix it. And, of course, they were aware of it. I have no idea 
what went wrong, but clearly something wasn't right on opening night in that regard. I did love the set, which included eight small tables of up to four theatre-goers sipping coffee and alcoholic beverages, so four theatre-goers on each of those eight tables, up to, behind which was the venue's regular tiered seating. And the stage itself involved more tables, small and large, and appropriate greenery, because it was an outdoor setting, with a five-piece band positioned at the rear of the stage. Direction from Mark Taylor, choreography, Joel Anderson, musical direction from Stephanie Jane, Luendon Lowe, spot on. So notwithstanding my gripe about the sound, I did laugh a lot and really enjoyed myself, as did my wife. It's called First Date the Musical, playing at Chapel Off Chapel, which is in South Yarra, and it's sort of border South Yarra, Paran, until the 11th of September, and that's in Melbourne. Okay, I think they've squeezed an extra show into the season there somewhere before that close date as well. Worth checking uh, for Chapel on Chapel on their website to see if that is indeed the case. I recall reading something about that during the week. Uh, And hopefully, because this one, like I said, it ran on Broadway for six months, so it's obviously got something, so let's hope that it does get picked up and, and goes further afield. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 regardless. I I would have given an even higher mark if the sound wasn't uh, as beastly, if you like, as it was. But there you go. That's First Date the Musical. Excellent. To wrap up today, we go on to Alex and Eve, the complete story. Now, this is a great little story here because this... uh, It's it's almost the the, the culmination of of a series of projects, Alex and Eve, the complete story. Yeah, because they've done three different versions before they've got the complete story. So, And by the way, it was a movie last year. Do you remember that? It was called Alex and Eve. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we, it's been made. It started out as a stage play. Then it had a second stage play. Then it had a third stage play. It was a movie. Now it's the complete story. And relationships, look, they can be tricky to navigate at the best of times. But when you traverse the cultural divide and respective parents are at cross-purposes, the task, of course, becomes a whole lot more difficult. And that's the premise behind what is a feel-good comedic romance developed, written by and starring Alex Lykos. He began the journey 10 years ago. That's how long they've been making Alex and Eve stories on stage. And he plays Alex. He's a school teacher in his mid-30s who receives dating advice from, among others, his Year 11 students. And he's from a strong Greek Orthodox background. Eve, played by Jada Quinn, is an attractive and confident 30-year-old lawyer from a devout Lebanese Muslim family. So you've got Greek Orthodox and Lebanese Muslim. Their respective domineering clans, not surprisingly, want them to marry within their own ethnic groups. Apart from anything else, there's the question of what's right and proper and the prospect of family shame. The obstacles to Alex and Eve getting together and cozying up for life are numerous and possibly insurmountable. So you've got star-crossed lovers, Romeo and Juliet style, although a tad older. They're torn between different religions and traditional and modern values. Particularly head up are Alex's bullet-a-gate, loud-mouthed father, Michael Kazonis fills that role, and Eve's take-no-prisoners, give-as-good-as-she-gets mother, Jeanette Lacus. Now, I should also say that Jeanette happens to be a producer on the sister station to the one that you appear on, 2CC. She's a producer on 2GB. Uh She produced Steve Price. So I didn't know she was an actor. And lo and behold, she told me about Alex and Eve last, last year, and now she told me she was acting in this one. She's really strong, and I'm not just saying that. I actually really liked what she did. Anyway, 
as if the couple's union, Alex and Eve's union, isn't difficult enough, the relationship between the pair of them becomes even more fraught once a bub arrives. The pair drifts apart, they're tired and irritable, there's no sex and a severe lack of communication. What religion will be the, will the baby be given? Will he be circumcised? I mean, these are the questions when you've got one culture advocating one side and another culture advocating another. So the second act provides fertile ground for development of the characters and they and their families' proclivities and faux pas. That's what we didn't see in the movie Alex and Eve, which was, as I say, released last year, because it finished when the pair got married and they didn't actually have kids, if I'm not mistaken, in the actual movie. So this is set in Sydney's inner west. The story is based upon Lycos's real-life experiences. That's been a common thread through what we've talked about today. The narrative is highly appropriate given Australia's increasingly diverse ethnic mix. So Alex and Eve, the complete story, makes for a good night out, in parts very funny and in large measure an enjoyable set. The key is the inherent honesty of the characters. They don't hold back. They say what's on their minds and are often strident in defending their territory. Alex and Eve as characters are charming and likeable. The interactions between his father and her mother are high points. Kazonis and Lacus particularly strong, as I've mentioned with the latter in their respective roles. Also, I was taken by Alex's larger-than-life Irish best mate, Paul, played by Paul Mizkimmon, who also has a very pleasant singing voice that he uses sparingly, but uses within Alex and Eve, the complete story. So you've got a cast of ten, three of whom fill multiple roles. They steal the, steer the mayhem and the hijinks over a couple of hours, in excluding intervals, so two hours plus a 15-minute interval. What we're dealing with here are nice human beings who are trying to be respectful to their parents and loved ones, but find it mighty challenging to extricate themselves from the straitjackets placed around them. When it's all said and done, they make choices, they compromise and do what they feel is right. In summary, Lycos has taken a sledgehammer to the cultural cauldron and highlighted the pressure points for comedic effect. I smiled a lot and laughed aloud here and there. Now, this is touring, so it's on for one night in various locations. It's on at Factory Theatre in Sydney on the 10th of September. It's on at Hellenic Club in Woden in Canberra on the 28th of October and Riverside Theatre Parramatta on the 29th of October. I'll go over that again. Factory Theatre in Sydney, 10th of September. Hellenic Club Woden in Canberra, 28th of October and Riverside Theatre, Parramatta, on the 29th of October. That is Alex and Eve, the complete story. It doesn't have sets. It's basically got a black backdrop. It works very, very well because it's not hard to get into the story. I saw it in Melbourne. I saw it at the Greek Centre in Melbourne, and the place, there was standing room only. It was that popular. I kid you not. And they... There was lots of Greek references, and they were howling with laughter. So... I'm going to give this one a 7.5 to an 8 out of 10. It's called Alex and Eve, The Complete Story. Good stuff. And, Alex, it's been a great fun week to do uh, uh, a whole heap of live theatre for a change. Well, I will keep on looking out for it, and uh, who knows, we might do another special. That was always the problem. Movies first, because we were usually doing one or two theatre theatrical productions. But when there's so much great stuff on, I couldn't help myself. So I'll keep an eye on it. 
You keep an eye on it, and we'll be back very soon. Indeed we will. That's Alex First. I'm Chris Coleman, and this week it's been Theatre First. You've been listening to Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.